So I was in Indianapolis recently. Um, that was my first time there. I've been in Indiana before, two times. I drove across I-80, didn't see much. And I was in the southern part of the state in French Lick at that giant casino resort thing down there. Uh, but never been to Indianapolis. So the steakhouse there, which is well known, is called St. Elmo's. And they have a sister restaurant called Harry and Izzy's. And they both have this signature dish, which is a shrimp cocktail. And you're like, what is so special about a shrimp cocktail? Shrimp cocktail, shrimp cocktail. Well, the cocktail sauce is like pure horseradish. And you eat some of this stuff, and it just blows your head off. Like, you're snot running out of your nose, you're shitting your pants. Like, it's <laughs> it's an experience, okay? And the funny thing about horseradish is, you know, like hot sauce, you taste for like four hours afterwards. But horseradish, like you eat it, and it clears out your sinuses, and then you, it's gone. Like the taste is gone. So I kind of get it. Anyway, downtown Indianapolis is pretty quiet. Um, COVID is... Uh, people are still working from home. You know, that's really what's going on. But Indiana is booming. There's a lot of freaking money there. There's a lot of money there. Um, Indiana has had some pretty good government over the years. You know, very competent governance. And that's not a statement on right or left. That's a statement on they've just done a really good freaking job in Indiana. There's been a lot of growth and a lot of wealth created in that state. So a lot of foreigners don't understand the United States or federalism. We're basically 50 different countries. And South Carolina cannot be any more different from California. I mean, it's the complete opposites, complete opposites in the same country. Like there's cultural differences, economic differences as you go from state to state. It's always that's always blown my mind. You know, it's really interesting. The state of New York had a commercial. This was a couple of years ago. It was it was an advertisement for businesses to come to New York about how they were so business friendly. And the whole thing was just ludicrous. I'm like. New York is like the second least business friendly state in the country. It's terrible. It's terrible there. It's really bad, you know. Oh my god. My nephew's wife is trying to get an occupational license. It's taking months to get this done because of the bureaucracy. If she got it in her home state, she would get it done in like 24 hours. So New York is no, it's bad. Um, having said that, New York and California are economic engines. Why is that? I mean, people like to argue about this. There's been a lot of op-eds written on this over the years. Um, yeah, I mean, California's economy is the fifth largest economy in the world. But New York is an interesting example because if you take out New York City, the rest of the state is pretty much an economic wasteland. You know, a lot of the laws that are passed in Albany are sort of meant to apply to New York City, but they apply to the whole state, and there isn't enough resources in the rest of the state to comply with all these regulations. You drive around upstate New York, there's just nothing there, and property values are in the toilet, and there's just nothing going on, you know? So, 
The phenomenon I am talking about is economic dynamism. And you want to live in a place that has a lot of economic dynamism. (laughs) Myrtle Beach has a lot of economic dynamism. It's been pretty much in constant boom mode since 2012. It is booming here. And I mean, even to the point where I just went out for lunch to get like chicken salad on a bagel and I had to wait 20 minutes. You know, and when I moved here, I would go there and it was empty. You know, there's a huge amount of growth. Taxes are not low here. The taxes are actually kind of high, but there's not much in the way of regulation. And nine months out of the year, the weather is awesome. So there's other states that have a lot of economic dynamic. <laughs> I never should have been talking about this. It's insane. I can't even say it. Dynamism. Ohio. Have you been to Columbus lately? Columbus is going nuts. It's a food fight. People are throwing money at each other. Or Cincinnati, you know. Uh, I went to West Virginia recently. Not a lot of economic dynamism there. You know, they have out-migration. People are leaving the state. They actually lost a house seat. They're down to one. So, and people are leaving New York and California a lot. A lot of people are leaving New York and California. And you probably heard that Idaho is filling up with people from California. And the native Idahoans aren't really fans of this. A lot of people say they're moving because of the cost of living. But guess what? The cost of living is a direct result of regulation. 100%. Because if you pass a law and you pass regulations, it costs more and more money to comply with it. And those costs are passed along to the consumer. So states with a lot of regulation have a high cost of living. There's a one-to-one correlation there, you know. And California has has so many regulations. I don't even I you can't even keep track. I I don't know how I don't know how people manage to exist there without being in violation of something, you know? Just piles and piles of regulations on everything. So with economic dynamism comes opportunities. And there are a lot of opportunities in Florida right now. I did an article on Bloomberg about this in 2017, and it was when, uh, it was after Trump got elected, and they passed the tax reform, and they eliminated the assault tax reductions, deductions, and um, I said that the South would rise again under the GOP tax plan. I said it would set off a wave of migration, and that's exactly what happened. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Changing the subject for a minute. Uh, talking about regulation, you know, I am typically, when people, people always, they use this term in a pejorative sense. They say, you know, regulation is like, like a lack of regulation is like the Wild West. It's the Wild West out there. Crypto was the Wild West. I think, I think the Wild West is generally a good thing. You know, there's a lot of dynamism, Right. But there is also the potential for people to be taken advantage of. And in crypto, that actually happened a lot. You know, there are a lot of scams out there. And it's, it's kind of funny because even if the SEC had a million people working for it, there's no chance it could keep up with all the scams. There were scams everywhere, you know. And I think, I think some kinds of regulation are beneficial, okay. Regulation that only requires disclosure tend to be beneficial, okay? So the credit card regulation that was passed in like 2010 or 11 or something like that, 
that when you get your credit card statement, it says this is how many months it's going to take to pay off your balance if you only make the minimum payment. And you can look at that and say, holy shit, like I better pay more than the minimum. And if you think about it, that regulation might be responsible for credit scores going up, for people paying down their balances faster, which would be a good thing. It's a regulation that only requires disclosure. It's just information. There's really no additional burden that's placed on the credit card companies. Really. So I think that's a good thing. The SEC, you know, when companies go public, all the SEC regulation requires is disclosure. The SEC doesn't approve an IPO. The SEC doesn't say this, this stock is a good investment. The SEC renders no opinions on stocks going public. All they require is that all the information and the risks are disclosed to investors and people can read it, right? That's all, that's all it requires. I mean, it's a big paperwork drill, but it's just disclosure. It's a good thing. So I think that car dealerships should be required to clearly disclose the interest rate on a loan and the payment. So, uh, the mortgage industry went through this. If I don't know if you've ever gotten a, a mortgage recently, but the documents that you sign now it clearly states the interest rate, the payment, all that stuff. That happened on, in, under Dodd Frank in 2010. Those are good regulations. Regulation for crypto is coming, but I have no idea what it's going to look like. Do you see the insider trading case that came out of Coinbase? This is very interesting because what you had was a couple of employees who would find out when a token was being listed on Coinbase and they would buy it before it was listed. And then obviously when it, they, they announced that it was listed, it would shoot up and they would sell it. They didn't even make that much money. They made like 300 grand. Um, and it is true that there is no insider trading in crypto, but the SEC said, well, these aren't cryptocurrencies. They're actually securities. And there is insider trading laws in securities. So that's how they got them. So whether or not it was illegal, what they did was definitely unethical, for sure. Okay. And not to get too much into insider trading law, but what this was about, it was a misappropriation of information in a breach of duty to their employer. So, uh, and my guess is that particular case is just the tip of the iceberg. My guess is that type of stuff was going on all over the place in the last couple years. So, uh, there's no insider trading in commodities. There isn't, right? Just pretend you trade corn. You can drive up to any field and go look at the corn. Like it's, it's right there. So there's no inside information. So insider trading laws are a funny kind of thing. Um, I mean, the idea is that you're not in possession of any material non-public information about a stock, which basically means that you know nothing. Like you should know nothing when you buy a stock. And I can assure you that my style of trading, I don't need or want insider information because my process involves sentiment and charts, mostly sentiment. Um, so I, I, I would not even benefit from inside information. It's not part of my process. So I don't even want to know it. 
Like, don't tell me. <laughs> I just, I want to stay as far away from that as humanly possible. So anyway, I, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I'm sure there's going to be a set of rules for crypto and people are worried about what it's going to look like. Ultimately, I think it's going to be a positive for crypto. I really, I, I do. I think it's going to be massively positive, And I think that crypto will rally on this news. But nobody has been able to explain staking to me uh, in a way that I'm satisfied with, where you stake some Ethereum and you get like a 4% interest rate. I just don't understand it. Um, I mean, I, I understand it sort of intellectually, but I don't understand it. So, and actually, I'm pretty bullish on crypto at the moment. So, I think it could run to 30,000 Bitcoin. And uh, thanks for listening to the Be Smart Podcast. I'm Jared Dillian. See you next time. <laughs>